I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Okay, welcome back to the Parenting Horizons podcast. That was my very formal introduction. Love that. Um, Today we're going to talk about, this is kind of topical, we're going to talk about transitioning back to school for Mm -hmm. kids. Right. I mean, some of you may have already, your kids may already be back in school, but even if they're in, they've been in a couple of weeks, I think you can apply a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Oh, for sure, for sure. So what would you say is the main thing or one of the main things to keep in mind, parents to keep in mind as kids start this transition back to school? And I would imagine this is a transition like no other in years because we're coming out of COVID and a lot of kids are going back to school for the first time in like a year and a half. Right, exactly. No, it's it's very different this year. But as a standard, I tell parents to allow for a six to eight week period of transition for their kids. Why and why that longer time frame? Well, and well, and you know, I should also say this is for any kid in any grade, even if they've been in the school for a hundred years. Even like maybe six, kids that are going to college, high school, junior 100%. high, elementary. Six to eight weeks of transition, which means also that. As parents, we have to go through six to eight weeks of transition. It's 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 a standard amount, and if you think about it, there's a reason that that generally puts the timeline between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Okay, and that they might be adjusted. Yeah, I mean, might as be. much as possible. <laughs> right, might be. If you think about it, it's pretty standard for parent-teacher conferences to be after Halloween and before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. because even you know the teachers are are adjusting and everybody's getting to know each other and figuring out how this teacher is different from previous teachers, how this class configuration is different. What oh, are sure. the dynamics? Friends, friends, all of the friends that you're going to be in. Maybe you're in a different environment totally if you're starting a new school exactly and of course the academics are different Mm. you know i mean they have to be if you're progressing through school so everything is different even though it may be the same technically the same school environment right and i find it necessary greg to, to tell parents this because i think a lot of parents get weary during the summer Right. And they're like, oh, good. The kids are going to go back to school. Oh, so they think they're done. First day back in. Exactly. I'm free. Yeah. But then the kids come home with emotions and, you know, some of their behaviors dysregulated and they're pushing back about homework and they're pushing back about getting up and pushing back about technology. And the parents are like, this was all supposed to be fixed. Right. Um, well, you said even this week that you had to mention it to some parents in your groups that yes. it's a six to eight week transition. And is that because parents are having expectation, that that kind of expectation? 
Precisely. Everybody needs to manage their expectations a little bit. And I, I feel especially this year is so complicated. Right. Because... I mean, it's a huge transition to come off not even just the practicality of doing school in your room on your computer for a year. Right. Right? I mean, it's. I would think the transition is always difficult anyway. It's not like you said six to eight weeks, you know, because of the pandemic. You've always said six to eight weeks. Always. And now we have this other thing layered on top of it, this sort of complex thing that kids are coming out of. Right, exactly. And I'm kind of telling parents, not that they like to hear this, but that all bets are off this year. Meaning, I don't know how long it's going to take kids to transition right, this right. year. You know, I've kind of likened it to if you've ever s seen one of those science science fiction movies, right, where the astronauts go into space and they go into these little containers and they get sealed up and they're in stasis, mm -hmm. right? Everything's just being monitored and they, you know, they fly for millions of light years away and, you know, and it's 25, 30 years later and they wake up. At the, in this new place oh. with no memory, really, of what happened before, but also it's a completely new life. Right. And I kind of- And you're of saying feel, this is kind of what that is like. Uh-huh. I well, kind of feel like with kids the have been in stasis. Yeah, they really have. But also just occurs to me with also the anxiety that it's not really over. It's not like That's COVID right. ended and they're going back to school. They're going back to school and still dealing with masks and still de dealing with the possibility that I mean, there could be another shutdown. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, there's there's a ton going on. There's with a this ton transition. going on, and you know, socially, they've been right, totally different. Totally, it's been totally different, and it's going to part of that's going to remain different because with masks on, we really can't read people's expressions. Yeah. So, how are they going to read their classmates' expressions? You know, is that person? looking at me and smiling or is that person glaring at me or is that person looking at me sideways? I mean, what's going, it's what's really, so I mean, it's funny cause I'm in a class right now and we've been wearing masks I've gone to it for about three weeks now and um, we're wearing masks in class. But last night we all went out for a beer and it was just really weird because you literally, it's like, Oh, you're suddenly seeing their whole face. It's kind of like a whole different thing. You're right. You can kind of, you can't really read. People have a mask pulled up to their eyes, so. No, the major way that we read facial expressions and recognize people mm. even is really from the nose, from the eyes down, not right. from the eyes up. Right. So, I, I mean, I've had this experience similar to yours, except not in a class where you know, I got to know people, servers at restaurants or whatever with masks on. And then I, when they didn't have to wear the masks, I didn't recognize them. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. By I was that. like, oh, is that what you look like? Right. Holy cow. So this is just another layer that kids are so, sort of. Exactly. I mean, I'm getting anxiety just listening to you, realizing like how much extra stuff. Because, I mean, the transition's tricky anyway. Exactly. If any, if none of Every this stuff year it's on. tricky. Right. And this year it's going to be especially tricky. So you're you're working to manage parents' expectations like in this past week? Oh, yes. Every single person, whether it's in a group or whether it's private, everybody. You mean they're is, frustrated that they're not getting like, why is this happening or why aren't they getting this quicker and they seem undone? And mm -hmm, Exactly. I, I feel like what parents need is two extra tablespoons of patience hmm. or maybe two 
extra cups of patience. Yeah, maybe cups. <laughs> or gallons or something. But but they need, if, if you can manage your expectations and understand that the behaviors that your kids come home with may be all over the place for six to eight weeks. So sometimes in years previous, I uh, a parent will say after three weeks of school, you know, oh my gosh, my kid was doing so great and now they're crashing and burning, but they, they, ha were, they were having such a great year for three weeks. And I'm like, six to eight weeks. Right. There's going to be ups and downs, you mean. Expect the unexpected. You have to. Right. Otherwise, you're not going to be empathetic with your child. And that is, that is the least effective way to parent. What is the least effective? Everyone get your pens out. She's going to tell us the least <laughs> effective way to parent. <laughs> the least effective way. Maybe there's a lot of. Okay, one ways. of the least effective uh, okay, ways to parent. Okay, thank you. There you go. One of the least effective ways to parent is when you are not empathetic. Hmm to what your child is going through. Great. I'm not going to, you're going to do your listening quote today for me, but not till we get to communication. I'm going to okay. say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we had, we, you have sort of four points that we can sort of discuss to help parents deal with their kids in this transition back to school. You know, the first one is keep a good attitude yourself, which it sort of seems like you've almost touched on that. And when you say two cups of patience, it sort of seems maybe with your kids, but also with yourself. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. We have to be patient with ourselves, too. And what I mean by keep a good attitude, I mean, there's the obvious, probably, that, you know, you want to be positive and, you know, expect the unexpected, but also, you know, add hope in there that it's going to, that they're going to be okay and everybody's going to manage. But also, sometimes parents overlay their own school experience on their mm. kids for positive and negative. So a parent can say, you're going to love school. I loved school. This was so great. This grade was so great. And that completely negates whatever the own child's feelings are going to be. Right. The opposite is also true. You know, look, school isn't fun, but you got to do it. So, right. so, you know, get your backpack on and go to school. Neither is good. Sure. We have to let our kids have their own experiences and think positively about what their path is. Right. What their experience is. So we're kind of getting into the second point, which is keep the lines of communication open. And this gets back to something we've probably covered. We probably have even touched on it in almost every episode mm -hmm. in I'm terms sure. of how you communicate. Because you were already doing a couple of communication blocks yeah. <laughs> just then. And we did a whole episode on communication blocks. If you haven't listened to that one, you should. But if we're going to be, if if the idea is, if the circumstances or if the idea what we're talking about is the going back to school, how how should you communicate with your kids about it? I mean, already you said, you know, some of the parenting blocks you've mentioned that can come up, uh, communication blocks, uh, being commanding. You, which you did a little bit, like, you're going to love this. Just put your backpack on and go for it. It'll be great. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, advice giving? Yeah, well, advice giving is really easy to slip in there because your kid comes home and they've got homework for the first time, but they're, you know, used to having a gazillion hours of tech time, you know, technology sure. time, and they're on their screen and you say to them, 
you need to get off of you know, get off of your screens and do your homework. This is first. how you should do it. This right. is how That's you should do it. That's very commanding. Or like, hey, this is this is how I think you should handle it. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, you can you can combine all of these to be just rich gems of blockage. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think. I mean, the, the other ones you mentioned are distracting, which isn't a good one. Like if they're upset about going back to school, you're like, hey, let's go get some ice cream or hey, let's go get some movie, go to the movies. Right. Um, sarcasm, which is one of my favorites. I'm terrible at that uh, communication block. But the main thing to take away from all of these, even as you're talking about them, is it sounds like you're not in tune to the child's experience. Right, exactly. And I, I want to mention one more because it's one that off, one more communication block because it's one that often slips under everybody's radar because we think we're doing it right. It just seems so natural. And that is interrogating. Mm. So an interrogating can be as simple as your kid comes home and you say, how was your day? Hmm. What'd you do today? What subjects did you have today? And not even peppering them with questions, but just and why is that one question? Because instinctively you want to do that. So why right. is that can be destructive or just not helpful, you think? Well, for a number of reasons. Uh, one reason is that after a long day where you've had to manage your feelings and you've had to use your brain and you've had to navigate dynamics with teachers and and your peers, the last thing that you really want to do is have somebody ask you a question mm. about how your day was. It's like, just go away. And that's where parents get, you know, they say, how was your day? And the kid says, fine. Right. And the parents are like, I don't ever get any information. Because you've actually blocked communication. And the kid's telling you when they say, fine, they're telling you. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, what they're do you overwhelmed. Do, but what do you, okay, that makes sense. I get it. But what if you, do you just let it go then? Like, what, what if you want to get some understanding of that experience? Do you wait for them? Or do you, you're out of luck if they don't want to talk about it? <laughs> you don't get to talk about it. No, here's where we go back to, and I and I feel like we can't emphasize this enough your kids already telling you hmm. because all behavior is communication so your kid comes home and their shoulders are slouched and they drop their backpack in the middle of the hallway and they shuffle off to the their room or whatever that's one type of communication i mean it's one they're commu communicating something. Oh, yeah. It. No, you're getting something very specific. From yeah. That, even if they're not verbalizing it. Completely. You know, and and or they come in and they're skipping and, you know, upbeat and, and vibrant. You don't have to say, how was your day? And interrogate them. You can say, looks like you had a pretty good day. Right. Or you seem a little down. But then drop it. Right. Right. Well, you talk often a lot about that sounds like you're being curious. You talk a lot about. Exactly. And it's part of being tuned in to your to your child, which, you know, is part of how to make this transition, you know, as smooth as possible, is that being tuned in means being aware of what the nonverbal communication is that your child is giving you. And being patient mm. and willing to kind of wait for it to come out 
Um, you know, a mom said to me just today, she picked her kid up and they were in the car and the kid was just kind of unusually quiet. But rather than saying, you know, what's going on, the mom said, you're, you seem really, really quiet today. Mm-hmm. And the daughter didn't say anything and mom just drove a little bit longer. Mm. And then mom said, you know, I'm here if you want to talk about anything. And then they drove a little bit longer, and finally the 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 daughter began to talk about her day because she'd been given the open door to talk yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. She's. I mean, as I'm listening to you, I mean, maybe this feels obvious, but I I, I think we have the impulse to rush. So she didn't feel pressed because Correct. the mom didn't press her, so she didn't feel she had a retreat. But it sounded like she dropped these kind of like open invitation things. Yeah. To see if she would respond. And, uh, and you know, a lot of times it feels like we've talked about this in the past, too. Like if you just kind of put it out there and leave it there, like right. this sort of curiosity, whatever it is. Hey, it's you seem kind of quiet today. Why are you quiet? And instead of going into like, did you have a bad day? Did someone say something to you? Were, were they rude? Are you tired? Yeah. Right. Is that yeah. the idea? That's the idea. My daughter has a, a, a really good analogy for it for when she when she's working with parents of neurodiverse kids you know she says imagine it like this you've had a long day at work right you come home from work and instead of your spouse or partner saying you know i missed you or i love you or it's good to see you instead they say what happened at work today? Did that deal go through that you were doing? By the way, did you remember to drop off the laundry on the way to to work? And don't forget, you're responsible for putting the kids to bed. <laughs> no one and likes to we, hear that. What are we having for dinner? It's like, no, I'll, 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 I will kill you. What? Exactly. <laughs> so we have to remember to give. I thought that was such a good way to frame it so that adults kind of get it in the adult context if mm. that were to happen. It's the same for kids, but maybe even more overwhelming for them. Right. Well, in this year, it's going to be even more overwhelming for I sure. I think so. Yeah. And hard for them to sort of grasp it. I mean, I'm as you're talking, you know, maybe because we were going to do this episode. So my 13-year-old is starting back on the 13th. And like two days ago, she said, oh, my God, I hate school. I can't believe it's starting. I hate school. I don't want to go to school. And it was very difficult because yeah. I really wanted to go, well, you don't hate school. What are you talking about? You love school. School's great. Yes. But I didn't. I Good. didn't say anything. But then I, I maybe said something small. But again, because we're doing this and we were doing this episode, I started thinking like, oh, wait a second. So what's underneath that? Because I know she doesn't hate school, right. but maybe she has some anxiety about school. So I don't know if like the day passed Mm-hmm. two days maybe even passed. And I think at some point I had an opportunity where it wasn't like weird or forced that I was like, how are you feeling about going back, going back on Monday? I think that idea of like, let me just throw this out there. Yeah. And I, I've experienced this this with all three of my kids that that sort of light touch, then suddenly the floodgates open. Yes. About what might be bothering them. If there is something there that's underneath that sort of, because again, I know she doesn't hate school, but that's probably right. covering some anxiety of like, going back. And I think it was. Right. Oh, yeah. 100%. And you did great. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to negate your child's feelings, you know, and, and I think kind of resonating for me is is the episode uh, that we did where we talked about being able to tolerate their uncomfortable feelings and their 
negative expression of those uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, that feels like a big one and something that feels like even the parents maybe you're dealing with were not patient enough with. Like, mm -hmm. come on, come on. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you're still, you don't, you got this. You're still upset. You're still bothered. You're still nervous. You're going to be fine. Yeah. We talk about that one a lot is sort of sitting through that with them. And it's hard, especially when it's your kid. And they seem like they're struggling, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think the idea is to sit through that struggle with them, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also say, you can also kind of commiserate and say, I know, I get it. This is kind of a big transition, especially this year. You know, you're not validating the I hate school part. That's just code for feelings. Hmm. And And that's another thing that I think parents have to remember is that kids speak in code. What do you mean? So when they say, I hate this or I hate that, that's code for feelings. Or Yeah, um, I mean, I don't do that that well, but that time I did. Like, I yeah, didn't say did. anything back, and I tried to think of like, oh, wait a second, because I know she doesn't hate school. And exactly. it wasn't even that big a leap. I was like, well, she's probably has some anxiety about going back. And exactly. that's the idea, right? There's but, something underneath that. The, exactly. And you just, you have to, I hate school is is like, they're, it's like they're stating a fact. Hmm. And we want to argue with that fact because right. we don't think that fact is accurate. Sure. Right? Communication block. Yeah, right. And instead of seeing it as a fact, we need to see it as a feeling. So that's what I mean by code. They code their feelings as if they're facts. I hate that. Or I had the worst day. Mm. Or I'm never going back to school again. I mean, it could be anything, but it's all code for a feeling that's going on inside of them. And really being attuned to your child is being able to, even if it's not in that moment, but but being able to think it through and and ask yourself as the parent, what feelings might underlie that? What does it seem reasonable? Like you did, you did a great job with that. You thought about it. You didn't say you you don't hate school that's ridiculous um you didn't argue with that and you just thought you know what i bet she's probably a little nervous why wouldn't she i think they're all going to be nervous definitely i mean the other thing that occurs to me as you're talking and something you've mentioned before too which i think is sort of a challenge for myself and other parents and it goes back to this idea of patience but taking time because i think you've said before like not everything is a five alarm fire Mm-hmm. Is that in there? Because it sort of feels like, mm -hmm. like when your kid says this, you don't have to necessarily feel them in that moment to jump in and fix it and negate it, which is right. not good anyway. That like you said, unless like they're injured, you know, yes. they're about to fall <laughs> off the cliff, you can take some time and think about what you want to say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the, the pitfalls for us as parents is that when our children speak in extremes, I hate that, or I'm miserable, or I don't have any friends, you know, all of which we might hear um, at some point, especially in the, in the transition to school. I think the intensity that they are using to express themselves, we have a tendency to try to match that inten intensity. Mm -hmm. And that causes us to react as if it's an emergency. 
because it feels to, you know they're uh, right, right. expressing it as if there's you know because they're they're trauma. operating in extremes precisely and so if we underreact hmm. and i'm such a big believer in underreacting if we underreact we give ourselves the time as parents to think to think about it as you did and to ask what is the most effective way for me to handle this so it seems like the over one of the overreaching things here is how we communicate with the child in any situation but this is particular to this transition how we listen to them how we be curious just because it's one of my favorite quotes that you just, you mention a lot is like what is the quote about listening and how we listen listening with heart i'm not sure um is it brenda yulin Yes, probably. I have a couple of quotes about this. Let's hear them. They're I always love. good to hear. Um, well, Brenda Euland says that that the value in listening to somebody else is that it draws that person closer to you. That when we are listened to, we feel close to that person who's who's doing the listening. She says that that within that process of listening, ideas begin to come to life and to grow and to expand. And most importantly, in my opinion, she says, listening recreates both people. And so what that said to me as a mom, you know, we make all these mistakes with our kids. We're going to, we just, we're good. We're going to, we try to make as few as possible, but we're going to make mistakes. But when we make a mistake, we can redeem that mistake. We can recreate ourselves, our child, and the relationship if we simply sit down and listen. And I feel like that's so powerful to know that that mistakes can be redeemed mm. by something as simple as just really listening without judgment or criticism. Right. So if if a parent is done a communication block or shut them down in some way had not been curious and want to draw them out. There's a chance to sort of circle back. And it's funny when you sure. say ideas, because that's the idea is like, I think, I think ideally you are creating space for the child to hopefully communicate, hopefully communicate to you. And in collaboration with them, yeah. you're coming up with strategies to deal with whatever they might be feeling, some anxiety about going back to school, a friendship group that is broken down, uh, their nerves about trying out for the team. Is that the idea? Yeah, it is 100%. I mean, I feel like one of our biggest responsibilities as parents is to support our children in their growth. And if we shut them down, if we fail to listen, then that whole collaborative process that you're talking about just goes away. And, and then there is no support. So I feel like, you know, the key to all of that is the listening process. Another of my favorite quotes is by Stephen Covey, who says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Great. And I love, you know, again, this is something that I just, it's, it's so 
simple and it's so profound and we don't do it. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I feel like the simplest and most profound things are the ones you need to be reminded about. I mean, yeah. I always try to think about, you say be curious a lot. Like mm-hmm. I'd almost put it on a t-shirt when we open our Parent Horizons podcast store. Okay, I'm, okay? I'm in, yeah. Be curious. That's what I kind of always remember. Like don't tell her what to do. Don't insist on your point of view. Don't diminish it. Be curious, be curious, be curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a simple way of what you're, we're kind of talking about here. Mm-hmm. So it opens up this opening dialogue, which we've talked in other episodes about other circumstances. But I think this this whole thing, this whole transition back to school, especially with COVID and everything that's going on more than ever. Well, also, I feel like you would say that you have a much better chance of getting the child to communicate with you if you're coming from that point of view. For sure. To listen first, then be understood. Exactly. And that, you know, I mean, as you said, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to be curious when when we are afraid. Mm. And I think this this school year particularly holds a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, you know, parents. I think we're concerned about kind of what happened to the kids this past. Oh, right. There's been a lot of like, are they falling behind and expectations? Right. I hope people listened to some previous episodes because we talked a lot about sort of readjusting what that means, given what we've all gone through. For sure. For sure. And I think the other thing besides lack of empathy that gets in the way of effective parenting is when we're afraid as parents. Well, that can be part of keep a good attitude about yourself. That part about being, how do you how do you look to yourself? So it's not just about the child, but with yourself, if you can recognize, because that fear is going to drive all sorts of communication blocks. Oh I yeah, imagine. and it and it just colors the way, even the way that you see your child's experience. Hmm. So they could be you know, doing stuff that's completely typical for their age, right? Having their first little romance or being independent and going out by themselves or whatever. But if if you're fearful, that gets colored. And the tendency is to see that experience not as typical, but as abnormal. Mm. And then it can turn into even pathologizing your child's behaviors. Right, which becomes totally confusing for them then, right? Because something that's sort of a natural, whether it's, you know, your seventh grade, I mean, I'm going through it now with like some some romance stuff that's going on that that's things that are kind of totally natural for that moment. Mm-hmm. And you might still have an, I mean, I'm working through that now too, is have an opportunity to kind of how I get to communicate with her about it without shutting it down and making her feel like, oh, this is wrong. I'm doing something wrong. Exactly. So, you know, part of parenting effectively and when well during this time, well, and maybe all times, is getting clear about where we are, what our feelings are hmm. moving through the world. You know, right. our feelings about our own circumstances, but also our feelings about our kids' circumstances. And are you coloring it? Right. You know, in in a way that's negative as opposed to normal or even positive. 
I mean, this is another thing I think we talk about a lot is that it's not just one way with the kid. It's like important to check in with yourself. We talk about that a lot yeah. too. Is where am I at in this? Taking the time to sort of think about that so you can come come together. This, is, right. this sort of collaboration about how do we deal with this transition, the anxieties that come up with it. I just want to touch on two more things before mm-hmm. we wrap it up. What you have on your list is be perceptive, which I think we've sort of uh, already covered the idea being that it's not just necessarily verbal. When you say be perceptive, it can be, it might be something they're saying, how they're acting, facial expressions. Is that the idea when you say be perceptive? Yeah, it is. And it's really paying attention, not just to whatever words might come out of their mouth or not come out of their mouth. If you've got a teenager, very few words will come out, but it's really paying attention to the body language, paying attention to the greater part of what's being communicated to you. Um, You know, we've said before, body language is 55% of communication. So what is that? Especially with teenagers, right? That's what you're saying. You're not going to get a verbal onslaught of their day. What's, What's funny, Greg, is it's almost like bookends because if infants can't communicate verbally, right? all we do is pay attention to their body language to see how they're doing. Mm. We have to. There's no there's no words, right? Then somehow we lose it in the middle when kids start to talk and we're like, "Oh good, you can talk." So so I don't have to pay attention to body language. But then the bookend to that is when they become teenagers and they stop talking again. Mm. Only this time it's deliberate. Not it's not because they can't talk, but it's because they don't want to talk right. to us. Right. And yet the the solution remains the same for those bookends. We look at the body language. Sure. We look at the facial expression. We hear the tone and we're able to interpret them. Yeah, yeah. I have a 21-year-old that, you know, he came in the house the other night and flopped on the couch and doesn't, you know, I mean, he's can definitely talk, but didn't say a word. But I knew within moments of like, he's not doing great. Uh-huh. I could just tell by the way he came in, the way he looked. I mean, and that's what Precisely. you're kind of talking about. Yeah, that's right? being perceptive. Right. Is is really taking those visual cues mm-hmm. and you know hearing your child really through your eyes as opposed to just your ears. Okay, so the last one you have is give your child a reasonable amount of control. And yeah. when it comes to this transition, I mean, I'm guessing you're saying that because. For anyone with anxiety, I think if you if you have some semblance of ownership of it, then mm-hmm. maybe it lessens it. Is that the idea? Like, how does that play out for you when you say to parents, in an order to help with this transition, give your child a reasonable amount of control? Well, I think, you know, control or power is something that is a basic human need. Everybody needs power and control. They need to feel like they, that the universe is not chaotic. And in a time of transition, that chaotic feeling can be even magnified to the degree that it feels like you really, you're part of the chaos. So giving the child a reasonable amount of control, and we can talk about what that reasonable part of it means, but giving your child an amount of control diminishes the chaos for them mm-hmm. and they they're they're getting that that human need met so that they don't have to either spin out right or become over controlling 
or seek power in abusive or risky ways. Sure, sure. Because it can play, yeah, that makes sense. That it could play out negatively, like say at school or something, where where they're reaching for control in another way. Like maybe with teens, it could be drugs and alcohol or even tweens. Sure. Or, yeah, I mean, in relationships, social dynamics. So that makes total sense. And, Mm -hmm. And one of the things you've mentioned is, you know, if you wanted to give a concrete example of this, and again, it comes back to like a collaborative communication. You gave the example of if the child has to be at school at 8.30, instead of you saying, hey, you need to get up at 7 and do A, B, and C and do this by this time so you can mm-hmm. leave at 7.30, you would say what? I would say, well, you know, and here's where I want to talk about a reasonable amount. That word, the the amount of control that can be given to a child is going to depend upon their developmental level. Sure. So you're not going to want, so you're going to want to frame it very differently if you've got an elementary aged kid versus if you've got a tween or teen. So let's just start. If you have an elementary aged kid, there are always choices within choices. They can't control their bedtime. Sure. Right. That's not reasonable. But they can control how the routine leading up to the bedtime might look. Right. You know, do they want to take a bath first or read books first? Do they want to lay out their clothes for school first? Or do they want to say goodnight to, you know, to the family first? What do you, so you can give them small choices. Yeah, I'm thinking, again, I keep bringing up my 13-year-old, but the phone got sort of out of control during the summer. There were nights where she had it in her room at night. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to her and said, you know, you can't have your phone in your room at night anymore when you go to bed. So there's got to be a time that you plug it in outside of your room in the office. And we've already begun to have that conversation and have tried to. I mean, it just seems like this is another example of that where it's happening. Like she doesn't get to decide. It's not a either or like this is happening. But what works for you? What time, right. how long do you think feel you need before you go to bed that you want to check your phone? Precisely. Is that the idea? Precisely. You know, and if we look at the morning, which you just mentioned, instead of you as the parent structuring it, you can say, we have to leave the house by 7.30 to get to school on time. How do you want to handle your morning? Right. How much time do you need to get ready? How much time do you need to brush your teeth? How much time do you need? And then work backwards from there. Well, and you also talk often about then if those things don't work, you do a revisit. It's like an opportunity to come yeah. back to it because mm-hmm. it might fail if they're involved and they're, they're, how they decide they want it to go is not working. You can then come back to it and say, hey, we need to talk about this again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, as parents, we always have the right to set limits if the child isn't cooperating in terms of the limits that they would within the choices that you're giving them. So we always have that opportunity to say, you know, look, if you know, this doesn't seem to be working, <laughs> you've been late to school for 80 days in a row. So, and I wouldn't let it go that long. Sure, sure. It. You know, for all five days of the five days that you've been in school. And so we need to either come up with another plan together or, you know, mom and dad will make the plan for this next week and, and here's we'll what it's going it to look like and we'll see how that goes. And then we can work within both frameworks and see see what's going to be the best for you. Yeah. And again, it sounds like you've said this in the past too, that if they have some ownership over how these things occur, whether it's bedtime. And like you said, you, mm-hmm. there's 
choices within the choice. It's not like they're going to determine their bedtime, but if they have some ownership over these decisions, there's a higher chance of it actually going. But that's true of anything, though. If you feel like you're not just being told what to do, you have no say. This has been sort of put down on you. That you're right. gonna, it's probably gonna be more successful. Yeah, I mean, and as a matter of fact, when when you don't have a say, it the chaos increases hmm. because you don't feel in control of anything, and so it feels chaotic. Everybody's controlling you. The world is is you become the victim in in terms of the world's imposition of structure routine yeah i mean and now it's more than ever because like you said they're coming off of summer where they pretty much had so much freedom and now there's so little and they don't get to determine their schedule or what time they leave or you know kids who have to wear a school uniform you know like now so more than ever they're losing like control exactly and let's layer on to that the ongoing pandemic Hmm. which also feels chaotic i mean you know we thought we were going to go into summer and yay us and it was going to be that you know by the end of the summer everything was going to be what normal i don't know but obviously with you know we've got the delta variant obviously we've got the move variant now it's, it's yeah this is ongoing and so i think one of the things that kids are going to be facing is they're going to be going back to school but will it be every day I mean, or will a school, you know, when a certain number of COVID cases rises again, they're going to shut it down. Right. There's a lot of uncertainty for sure. Right. Which contributes to this feeling of chaos and danger. Right. So the more you can give your child appropriate control, the more they feel like they've got appropriate power. They don't feel so, you know, battered by the the weather, you know, around them. So- can we just wrap up like I, I I don't we don't need to recap everything, but if there was sort of one main thing you want parents to keep in mind as we sort of enter this transition, what would it be? Six to eight weeks of transition plus whatever this pandemic is going to lay on it. So expect for it to be up and down. Be patient, patient. with yourself yeah, and, and with be your patient kids. with your kids and be empathetic. To yourself and to your kids. You know, this is not easy. There's not some magic wand we can wave and make it easy. So patience, manage your expectations, and expect at least six to eight weeks of transition. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at julie.ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.